Ahmed. So we are trying something different this, this Sunday and over the month of August. And this is something that some friends of mine have, have done in their churches. And what it is, is we're going, instead of the preacher preparing this very well-refined, argued sermon based on the scriptures, of course, like beautiful and humorous and great. It's a great sermon. I'm going to respond to the congregation and the actual questions that you have. Um, I have not seen the questions. Uh, we have about 20, I think, or so in total. Um, and this is something for you to continue to ask. There's, if you want to add, put it down on your yellow slip or continue, the link um, still works online to submit questions over over the month and then kind of respond. And part of this is to, as well, remind all of us that um, the point of faith is not to be told what to do by someone standing up front or really anybody. And that God does not desire passive people, um, but a, a dialogue, a relationship with us. And for us to not, um, not just to kind of blindly go about our business, but to, but to respond, to question, to dig deeper, and to seek how far down God's love goes for us. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Question number one. So Colossians said Christ is all and is in all. So here's the question. Okay. Uh, how does God love and offer eternal life to all peoples of faith, Buddhists, Hindu, Muslim, Jews, Christians, and all other religious faiths? Okay. <laughs> Start, starting off with a soft one, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's one. Um, there's a lot of lot of ways of looking at this and understanding this, and kind of the uh, what kind of religious philosophers talk about is like the problem of religious plurality, of different of like there being different faiths across across the world and different ideas. And so um, one way, like I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. Some models have been like, well, there's one mountain and everybody is going up a different path on the mountain. Um, I am very uncomfortable with that because a lot of the claims of different peoples of faith are contradictory um, in some ways. And so there's a lot of overlap, and I think there's a lot of overlap and a lot of good that should be sought out. But we can't just assume that if someone believes in something supernatural, it's always going to mesh completely. And so that's, that's one model. A lot of this happens actually, a lot of the kind of thought around religions emerges in the 19th century in the same period of colonialism, in the same period of European countries traveling the world and basically claiming that whatever is practiced and believed is the same, it's very similar um, to what they believe. When it's, I mean, that, doesn't, that really doesn't function. There's also another aspect that, um, before I actually answer the question, <laughs> that Religions in history have been um, communicating and in relationship for much longer than we assume. We oftentimes assume that kind of religious tolerance is this only modern phenomenon and religious dialogue is this very modern phenomenon. But um, in kind of ancient history, before Alexander the Great invaded India, so you remember back to that period of time, um, Buddhists had no images. There was no like sculpture of the Buddha, the guy with the nice belly, going around, like none of those happened. It was after the Greeks invaded India that they brought Greek sculpture and that was appropriated by the Buddhists. That was, I mean, 2,500 years ago in some ways. And so it's not, it wasn't the first time, 1900 was not the first time people saw these other religions. Okay, so that being said, how I see this and how I see understanding that Christ is all in all is that Christ is the fullness of the revelation of God. 
that in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, all God and all man, the fullness of what it means to be human is revealed. There is no greater revelation than this. And that is, that is the power of Christ's revelation because the fullness that has been revealed in Christ is the eternal love of God for us. The eternal gift, the never, like, the never swaying love for us. The eternal mending and rebuilding and rejuvenating love of God for us. Now, because the fullness is found in Jesus Christ, there are expressions of God's love elsewhere. And this is the kind of thing that sometimes you may hear if you heard it said that, oh, you know, my atheist friends act more Christian than my Christian friends. I've, I've heard people who say that. That was me a millennial thing. Um, but the, the, the fact of, like, you know, you come across someone who's kind and, and generous to you and they don't believe in God. It's like, well, how can that person be kind and generous to me when I have this people who espouse God and they're really rude to me? And the kind of way is this, um, the power of, of God's love is, is found in that goodness. So in the good, we think of a person, let's think of like a Muslim or a Buddhist or anybody, um, and they're acting God. The, the Christian believes that in that act of love, God is still communicating. It's not in their belief structure. It's in that offering, the offering the cup of water to the person who is thirsty. This is the power of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was not a Jew. The Good Samaritan was not a Christian. And yet is lifted up as the most neighborly person. And so what, what we take from that is not that every religion is true in itself, but we should not be afraid of seeing vestiges of Christ's love wherever it may be. Vestige is a, is a wonderful Latin word, which means footprint. And so you see footprints of Christ's presence. We don't have to be anxiously hoarding whatever is good and true and assume that anybody who doesn't agree with us is automatically has nothing to do with who God is. Nor should we assume, like, and so there, there's a delicate stance, but we can see footprints. We, we have dialogue, we have conversations. We have conversations, I know um, Cheryl Johnson has many um, friends in the Muslim community in Austin um, through her work and, and her, through her legal work. And that doesn't mean she's Muslim, but she's able to have, have break bread with them, to learn with them. That in, um, you know, in having conversations, in dialogues with, with Jews, with Buddhists, and that doesn't mean, because being friends with someone doesn't mean you agree with everything, right? Like that's, you don't have, none of you have a single friend who you agree with about everything. Um, but Christ can be present in that. And that's, okay, that's a brief answer. I'm going to kind of end it there. If you would like to talk more about that, and the same with all of these answers, I would love to have that conversation. Um, love to talk, because it really gets into to the heart of who Christ is, as well as how we can be Christ for the world. Because being Christ for the world is not controlling the world, but offering love unceasingly, and believing in a God that is greater than just the words we use and the names we call ourselves. Okay, question two. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want to ask a follow-up question to that because I don't think you actually asked the actual question, answer the question, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I think you flipped it, but that's all right. Um, this is related. It seems there are many hu many humanists more moral than Christians. You said that. Yeah. How does God reconcile this so there's justice? And so we are not saved by our morality. Um, and that is something that is super important. That, and it's, it's all, through, all through the Gospels um, that by like, being a good person is not enough. Um, being, a, being a good person, being a moral person emerges out of the grace God offers for us. Um, and, it, and it should, and that's what we are striving to as Christians, to have like, 
behave in a Christian manner is to have a love that emerges from the absolute love of God for us. So often in history as well, Christian faith has been distorted into this moralism that has been like, okay, you have to behave in a certain way. You, you, know, you have to tuck your shirt in. You have to wear proper shoes. You have to hold, you know, all these kind of behaviors that are separate from the overwhelming sacrificial love of Jesus for us. But in the same way, like, we, we reconcile the fact that people outside of faith can be kind and generous because God is a universal God, and God is, God's grace takes place in many, uh, many forms. And so God, God's grace and God's presence is not restricted to, to the revelation. The f- fact about Jesus Christ is the fullness of God revealed. And so there are inc- there's incompleteness of going. It's amazing. It's a miracle that someone can act kindly without knowing the absolute love of Jesus. It's a miracle that someone can, can act gen- generously and, to, and share love and share, share their time and sacrifice themselves without knowing the, the overwhelming love of Jesus. And that's something to be, to be praised, not to be challenged, not to be like, oh my God, how can that be? But like, what a, God is so good. God is so good that God is acting outside of, of our own, our own um, structures that we limit it to. And, and God's grace is not something that we can control, that no, no bishop, no, no leader is, has, has the say of like, okay, God only acts in this way. No preacher has that say. We, all, we are all called to be open to God moving in these mysterious ways, to be seeing God in, in many ways. In fact, in the, the powerful passage in Matthew 25, when um, it's, it's, it's this kind of apocalyptic, and, and when I will come to judge the world, when the, the Son of God will come to judge the world and divide them on his right side and his left, and on his right side, they'll be the sheep. And I will say, um, um, and you will come, and they will ask, like, well, why? Why are you are offering us life? It's like, because... When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. And this, this powerful message that we, we see the face of Jesus in those who are hurting, and those who are broken, and those who are hungry, um, that doesn't mean when we see the face of Jesus in them, they have to be Christians for Jesus to be present there. And that's so important that what we're... We don't, we, the face of Jesus is not limited to people who have already met Jesus because God is a universal God. The face of Jesus can be found in the most surprising places. And we who are privileged to have received the revelation of Jesus Christ must, be, must be, um, have faith that God is present in those ways. Be grateful for the generosity of, of humanists. Be ashamed for the immorality of Christians. But be able to claim it. Be able to claim those times when we have fallen short. Be able to claim those times when people of faith have fallen short of, of the God who is love. Yet, yet not say that that proves it false, but say that we need to step more into grace, more into faith, and more into learning together how to follow Jesus. You want one more? I think we can do one more. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do, you want a first, do you want a personal one or a random one? I'm, whatever. Okay. You're calling. All right. Harden not your hearts. Okay. What does that mean? Harden not your hearts. Okay. Good question. <laughs> it's always, it's always yeah, you know, when someone says a good question, because they have no idea what to say. Um, like in an interview, when you watch like the presidential interviews, it's like that's a really good question, Sean. It's like he has no idea what to say. Just Harden not your heart. Well, the mo- like the most famous point of hardening hearts is Pharaoh. Um, and so when when Moses is going to Pharaoh and saying, "Let my people go," um, 
and like I think three or four times um, the text says, and um, like Pharaoh was about to do it, but God hardened his hearts, so he would say no. Um, which is a really like a really challenging. Um, I mean, it's a challenging scriptural passage that has like challenged theologians since people have been since it was written. A challenge like in all like in all traditions, all mosaic traditions um, have been challenged by this idea of hardening of hearts because it puts like, well, how does free will work on that? And so, if God is hardening his heart, um, how like how are we to understand our own freedom in that? Um, thankfully, that was not the question that you asked. I'm saying that's a much tougher question. <laughs> the, uh, the hardening of our own hearts is how do we um, how do we not be vulnerable to uh, to the world and to the needs of the world? And so, a hardened heart is one that is not open um, to others. A hardened heart is not is a heart that assumes that it is complete. And so you think about, like, as opposed to a porous heart. A porous heart is one that is ready for, for life to flow in and out of. You think of, yeah, like, um, to see as God sees. Like, one of the calls of the Christian life is to see as God sees. Uh, one of my teachers once said to a prayer, Break my heart, O Lord, as your heart is broken. And when our hearts are hardened, hearts are hardened, they cannot break. And there is, um, you know, we think that's a form of strength. To the world, that's a form of strength. It's like, oh, that's a hard-hearted person. You know, that's a cutthroat business person. They're not going to be mushy-gushy about anything. But in the Christian faith, it is, a form of, it is the deepest form of weakness. It's like St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, that because I am weak, I am strong. And the weakness of the Christian points to the weakness of Jesus on the cross. Points to the fact that Christ did not come first with sword and chariot, but as a baby. <laughs> As a baby who is hard to be settled in a new place. As a baby with needs, an absolute being of need. God did not come fully formed. That's the miracle of Christmas. The miracle that we, we receive God in a growing way. We receive God in, in one of the most dismissed forms imaginable of the child. They're like, oh, who's going to listen to a child? And yet that is how God spoke to us, not in this hardness. I think that's, that's really the, heart, the character for us is to, is to remind us, am I being hard in my heart now? Am I being shut off? That doesn't mean I need to be open for abuse constantly. That doesn't mean that I need to do whatever anybody around me asks. But am I shut down so that the possibility is not present? Am I shut down like Pharaoh was shut down? Am I shut down that I don't even realize that I'm a slave master? Am I shut down that I don't even realize the way that I've been acting immoral? I think that connects with the second question especially, too, is that Christians who have hardened their hearts so they don't realize that they are acting apart from the grace of God for them. They don't realize that God's grace is this continual thing. The, the Wesleys, John Wesley especially, um, spoke of grace in, in, a, in four ways. And so there's, there's provenient grace. There's the grace that comes before. There's the grace that comes to the child. That the child is loved unconditionally already. There's justifying grace. The grace that turns a life around. The grace that says that you are loved and you are forgiven. You don't have to be your path, past. This is the grace espoused in the Colossians 3 passage. Um, that you can put, take off those, those former clothes that you have. Strip yourself of the old self. That is not who you need to be. You have new clothes in Christ. But then there's sanctifying grace. There's the grace that makes us holy. The grace that, that makes us open to God's love. The grace that lets us see as Christ sees. The grace that lets us see Christ in others who are different from us. Let's us see Christ in people 
who don't talk, look or talk like us, who are, may not be Christians. Let us see grace in those places. That is, and then there's glorifying grace, the ultimate being in the presence of God. That, that's, what, that's what God calls us for. And so those, those four graces working together. And so, but if our hearts are hardened, so often many Christians think that once you get to justifying grace, once you're justified, you're all good. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's like, all right, God loves me. I'm in the book. I'm good. I don't have to think about it. When instead, God continually calls us and continually seeks us. And in, like in the Luke passage, we don't, know, we don't know the hour. And we may think to ourselves, okay, you know, I did that. I was really, I did a, you know, I went to a walk to Emmaus 30 years ago. It was really moving for me. But now I just have been building up my barns. I've been building up my barns and they have been satisfying me. And I know I had this powerful mountaintop experience 30 years ago, but gosh, I walk into my barn and it's full of stuff and I feel great. And I say to myself, soul, you've got a lot of stuff. That's pretty cool. Or I look, you know, and I think the same thing for us. It's not, it's not barns for us. It's like our accounts. We look at our bank accounts. We look at our investments. We say, investments, you are so good investments. You give me comfort. You give me strength. And yet, that power, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. Jesus says, God comes like a thief in the night. We cannot expect it. We cannot prepare for it. That doesn't mean we need to be afraid. Instead, we fill our lamps with oil because of the overflowing love of Jesus. We want to be ready because we want to seek that life that is love. And that's the Christian faith. The Christian faith is this journey towards God. This continual stripping away of the old self. Stripping away of those temptations to harden our hearts. Stripping away of those desires to build up our storehouses. And, and not thinking that, okay, I have finally reached the mark. But at every step of the way, even though it seems like we are not there, Christ is there with us. Every step of the way, even when we look out on the horizon and we see non-Christians, we see humanists, we see others, and we think, gosh, how does that fit together? Christ is with us. Saying, have faith in me. I am with you. You are loved. And this love for you, this love Christ has for you, is not just for you. It's not just to build up your own storehouse of spiritual graces, but to offer to others, to share with others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.